0: I need to get a show of hands. How many of you have ever gone to Build-A-Bear Workshop? Raise your hand. Whoa! <laughs> Look at this. Whoa. <laughs> I just need to tell you it's demonic. Uh, no. Nah. <laughs> Build-A-Bear Workshop. I'd heard about it. And when Lauren, on her 10th birthday, we had a party, it was a -A Build-A-Bear workshop party. It was my first entree into Build-A-Bear, where you go to the mall and and they sit down and they talk to you about this, almost like this living creature that you're getting ready to build – and uh, you choose which animal that you want, and then you get to put the little heart in them, and, uh, and you put the stuffings in them, and then you determine what the accessories will be, and what they will wear, and how they'll be accessorized. And now I believe their sounds and their scents, and I mean, it's incredible. And so we went through that experience, and we built this bear, and and Lauren built this. uh, It was really more of a tiger is what what she chose. And And at the same time, we were in upward basketball, and our upward basketball team, we were the Wildcats. So we were the only people in upward basketball that had a mascot because she would use that and run through the smoke, if you remember that, from upward, carrying the mascot. Oh, it fired our team up. We had a -A Build-A-Bear mascot. We built... This creature is our little Build-A-Bear, and it was fun. And, And some people try to figure out, well, when you think about God, and there's so many different thoughts and beliefs about who God is, what would it look like if you had to build a God I love that old story about uh, the teacher that gave assignments for people to draw and she said, y'all just draw whatever you want to. And this little girl was feverishly working on something and the teacher walked by and she says, so honey, what are you drawing? She says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she says, well, honey, I hate to tell you, but no one's ever seen God. They don't know what he looks like. She says, well, they will when I finish with my picture. <laughs> and I, I'm going to show you what he's like. We have a tendency to build a God in our mind. A tendency to think, well, I think God is like this. This weekend, Janice and I went and saw the movie uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings. And and the writer of that movie, Ridley Scott, uh, has his own uh, preconceptions as to how he interprets who God is. And he took those same uh, uh, preconceptions, and he tied it into the character of God. And he represents God in this movie as an 11 year old boy with an English accent. Go figure. And so rather than a booming boy speaking from a burning bush, it's an 11 year old kid with an English accent that's talking to Moses. Now, I'm not going to give you a spoiler alert, you still, if you want to go see the movie. But his idea of God was one that had no compassion, no mercy, and he was just like a petulant little child that kind of had some anger issues and didn't have any love, didn't have any sadness over anything bad, and no compassion, no mercy, and that was his picture of God. Now, if you want to go see the movie, all I want to ask you to do is you have a homework assignment, and I want you to read Exodus Chapters one through fourteen. Then I want you to go to the movie, and then you can kind of stomach, all right, what all went on. I laughed with Janice. I said there are about three or four points. I said if we, if I could have a pause button, could I pause it and stand up and tell the people, hey, this is just not right. Can I explain to you the way the story's supposed to go? But it is entertaining if you want to go go see it. Okay, that's it for today. So, so he built his own concept of God. Because in his mind, all religion is bad, and all religion is the cause of all these wars and intolerance, and so why would anything be good about that? And so he takes his concept of God, and he builds it that way. What got me thinking about this, and what piqued my interest, was a devotional that I read, a, and it's a small devotional book, and it's called Christian Classics. And it's just some of the, uh, the old saints and some of their writings, and there was a man by the name of Horace Bushnell who was a pastor in the 1800s. And he wrote a devotional, and it jumped out at me. And I'd like to read you a portion of that. And it says this, Gentleness in a deity. What other, what other religion ever took up such a thought? When the coarse mind of sin, the rude, crude, vulgar mind of sin makes up gods and a religion by its own natural light, those gods will reveal both the coarseness and the sin together as they properly should. In our sinful, crude, vulgar minds, when we try to put together a God, it will match up with a crude, sinful, vulgar lifestyle, and our gods will be just like that. And he says, these gods are made great by being great in force. And terrible in their resentments. They're mounted on tigers. They're hung about with snakes. They cleave the sea with tridents. They pound the sky with thunders. They send diseases upon the animals. And pestilence on the cities and the kingdoms of other gods. Always raging in some lust or jealousy. Or scaring the world by some vengeful omen or warning. Just the opposite to all of these... The great God and creator of the world, the God of revelation, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, contrives to be a gentle being, even holding his power and withholding the stress of his will that he may put confidence and courage in the feeling of his children. It is in this gentleness, that his greatness and majesty culminate. It is in this gentleness of God that his majesty is culminating. Well, I never really thought much about the gentleness of God. So I began to look into it. And I came across Psalm 18. And if you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 18... There were some insights I believe that that God gave me during this week that I'm hopefully going to try to explain to you clearly. And I just pray that God's spirit would speak through me and through your hearts to to see if you can understand uh, the same things I'm seeing coming right out of here in Scripture. Psalm 18, this particular psalm was written by David. And as you know, David, uh, he had a lot of enemies, and even Saul, the king that was, uh, was before him, was even chasing him and trying to take his life. And so while he was on the run for his life for a number of years, God protected him, and he rescued him, and so he wrote this psalm. And so as he wrote this psalm, and he begins to talk about God, listen to how he describes him starting in the sixth verse. Psalm 18, the sixth verse. He says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. And then the earth, it reeled and and it rocked. And, And the foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry And smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and he flew and he came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. And then out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. And the Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows, and he scattered them, and he flashed forth lightnings and routed them. And in the channels of the sea were were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. And he sent from on high, he took me and he drew me out of many waters and he rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And I read that and I said, that's the kind of God in flaming nostrils. He's getting after it. He's throwing down hailstones, lightning, everything. This is a rescue. This is a strong God. And yes, when we look through scripture, we see that we serve a strong, powerful God. We serve a God that's strong on justice and a God that says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We can hang on to that. We begin to build our view of God and we see that because he rescued David. And we say, that's a powerful God that I know of. But then if you go a little bit further and you get to a section starting in the 31st verse. In the 31st verse, he says this For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? I mean, He's rock, He's stable, He's strong. I like that. He says, The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. Now this is the God who, he took me and he made me strong. He equipped me with abilities and and he gave me good strength. He gave me a sure-footedness to where even I could be on the mountains and and I had great sure-footedness. And then he says, and he trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. He trained me as a warrior. He equipped me. And through, what do you call it, DNA, through the opportunity of training from something uh, uh, extra that God poured into me, he gave me these abilities, and I became a great warrior, and I could pull the bow back and shoot the arrow, and I was strong enough. All of these things were, were giftings and things that God gave me. Then he says, in verse 35, you have given me the shield of your salvation. Now, whenever you see the word shield, it means protection. That's why you have a shield, to protect you from the arrows that are coming. You give me a shield of salvation. Some believe this is either temporal or it could be spiritual. Temporal meaning you have protected me. I mean, you have provided me with this shield of protection. You, Lord, have protected me. But when it says shield of salvation, it could mean that you've provided for the forgiveness of sins. You, through your righteousness, have provided for me an opportunity to be in relationship with you. But either way, it's something that only God can provide, that shield of protection, the shield of salvation. And then he says, and your right hand supported me. Your right hand supported me. Anytime in Scripture when they talk about right hand, that means the stronger hand, okay? So most people think God's right-handed, okay? (laughs) But that's what it means. It means your right hand, it's, it's your strong arm. And he says, your right hand, you supported me. My enemies laid these different traps and these snares, but yet you were strong enough. Your right hand, you guided me over those things. And you kept me from it. And so in this, so far, what I've read, I've read the the abilities that he has, but then I've also seen that, that God has provided this shield of salvation, has provided this right hand, this strength. But then you get to the end of verse 35, and he says, and your gentleness made me great. And your gentleness made me great. What does that mean? See, I followed everything in that passage. I'm like, God, here all of a sudden it says, your gentleness made me great. And as I'm building this concept of a God, and I've got all these warrior things in there, now all of a sudden I've got to plug in this gentleness, and my question is, is really, what is this? What is it when he says that your gentleness has made me great? David came from a low background. I mean, his family wasn't famous. He was a shepherd. That was not a highly thought-of occupation. But yet God in his grace and his goodness and his sovereign goodwill and his pleasure, he raised him to a high estate. He set him on a throne of Israel and he gave him honor among all the kings of the earth. And so he took him from someone who was low and he gave him this greatness. And when you think about that, you say, well, there's goodness and there's mercy involved in that. And that could be a part of that. But when you look deeper into the word gentleness, it's a word that comes from humility. And if you go even deeper, a little bit even more comprehensive, the term means condescension in a good way. Condescension means to voluntarily descend from one's rank. Voluntarily descend from one's rank. God's gentleness, God's humility, God's condescension to step down, for one rank lower rank he says your gentleness made me great now new international version i love this translation of this verse look what it says you stoop down to make me great you the lord of the universe the creator god you stoop down to make me great Charles Spurgeon says, it is God's making himself little, which is the cause of our being made great. We are so little that if God should manifest his greatness without condescension, we would be trampled under his feet. But God stoops down. He looks to the lowly and contrite and he makes them great. And in the midst of making them great, David then turns around and he ascribes all of his greatness to this condescending goodness and graciousness of his Father in heaven. Now, put it on a level we can all understand here. As I read this, I see that every one of us has a chance for greatness. Every one of us has a chance for greatness. And the only reason we can get this greatness is because of God's gentleness, his humility... And his condescension, but that is his desire, because he wants us to get to a point of greatness, so that we in turn have a platform to talk about the greatness of God. I'm going to put a statement up here. We're going to walk through this statement, and I want us to look at this and see and see this truth. God stoops down to make you great, Psalm 18:35. God stoops down to make you great. In essence, it's like he's, he's got a, if someone was standing behind me that was short, I've got to stoop down so you can see them. So what God does, he says voluntarily, I'm going to stoop down so you will be great. But then in your greatness, you are then to bow down to lift him up and bring glory and honor to his name. This is how it works. This is where God says, I will stoop down so that you can achieve some type of greatness And as you achieve this greatness through my power, as soon as you receive the greatness, and all of a sudden the world begins to come to you and say, ooh, you're great at this, you're great at that, your next reaction is you are then to bow down to where they don't see you, but they see me. And when you bow down, you then lift up God and say, he is the one that gets the honor and gets the glory. And the reason that God allows there to be greatness for us, for his children, Is so that in turn we can lift him up and glorify him as the one who is the provider of that greatness. And you don't see this in other gods that are being built, you don't see this in in Roman mythology or Greek mythology or other gods that we build. To where that desire of that God is to be able to stoop down so that you can have this greatness. But your purpose of that greatness is not for you to pump your chest and say, look how much I've achieved and how great I am. But it is as soon as you begin to see that, you realize the only reason I have this is because of God. And I bow down before him. And I tell him, Lord, you made my greatness. Revelation talks about that we get these crowns, uh, that in heaven that we will get crowns for things that we've accomplished here on earth. And then it says that we're to take those crowns and cast them at the feet of Jesus. That's exactly what this is. If when we receive crowns for well done, good and faithful servant, you did this, you did that. all oh, that's great. We get that. As soon as we get that, then we bow down and we say, hey, the only reason I got this is because of your greatness and because of who you are, God. And so I place that crown before you. I stoop low. As we build this picture of God, we build this picture of God that has a gentleness. And in the midst of that gentleness, what God is saying, I am willing to stoop low so I don't trample over you. You're able to accomplish the things that, that I've called you to do. And when that happens, you don't just hold on to them yourself. You then bow down. and You lift up the name of God and you glorify him. You know, Jesus said in John 12, 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And I know that verse is talking about the type of death that he would die as he would be drawn and lifted up on a cross. But it's also got a general application to say anytime we lift up Christ, we lift him up, it will draw people to to himself. And whenever we try to draw people to ourselves to talk about how good we are and all the things that we've done and all these things we've accomplished, all we're doing is bringing attention to ourselves and giving no honor and glory to God. And we need to be like David, like he said at the end of verse 35, and that is your gentleness makes me great. And so whatever it is I've accomplished in life, it is the gentleness of God. And that he allowed this to happen. And my response is to go back to him and say, you receive the honor and you receive the glory on there. Now, let me just give you a couple of Uh, Just tie it into where we are in Christmas. Number one here is the gentleness of God is on display at the manger. The gentleness of God is on display at the manger. When you read about the Christmas narrative, it's amazing that when God entered this world, he entered the world as a baby that was born to a peasant family in in a feeding trough uh, in a small city of Bethlehem. I see most of us, if we were building our God and we said, okay, now you are going to come onto the earth in flesh, how are you going to do it? Most of us would say he needs to be about six two, 225, six pack abs chiseled, some incredible warrior that can kick tail and take names. That's the one I had drawn up. I don't know about you, but, but that's kind of what you think. Or he's going to come be the best looking king and the wisest person you've ever seen. And he'll just step right into royalty and he'll start ruling just like that. But you see, when you draw this picture of God and you build this God as revealed in the Bible, there's this gentleness and this humility to where he has his son come in and he comes into the world and enters the world in human flesh with parents that no one knows living in a stable because they don't have a reservation to stay anywhere else in town, and is being born in a nasty feeding trough surrounded by other animals. And the first people to hear the good news, the first people to come and visit the new baby are shepherds. And during that day, shepherds really were not respected. In fact, shepherds were looked down on so much that if you went to trial You wouldn't even ask a shepherd to come and give testimony for you because nobody believed them. They didn't trust them. They were nothing. And so out of all the people in the world, God said, hey, angels, here's the first people we're going to tell. We're going to tell the shepherds and then let them go tell the world. You know, those guys that nobody believes. That's the ones. It's amazing. A humble situation, simple people, simple shepherds, simple surroundings. But yet what God showed in this gentleness at this Christmas, when we stand there and we look at the manger, is that the invitation is open for everyone. That nobody can sit here and say, I am way too low for God to ever call me to be a part of his family. Hey, listen, it doesn't get much lower than a a peasant teenage couple and shepherds. All of us are invited To come to the manger. All of us are invited to be a part of God. And a part of his family. And in that gentleness that he has. He wants to let us know. That the invitation is for everyone. So the gentleness of God. Is on display at the manger. But last of all. The gentleness of God is demonstrated in his son. Our savior. The gentleness of God is demonstrated. In his son. Our savior. We have. A gentle Savior. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what that means is, everything that you see in me is from the Father. All the attributes of God are the same attributes that are in Jesus. And so when you look at Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, God is in the midst of all of that. And you learn about God as you walk through the whole life of Jesus. And Jesus says, you see me, you see the Father. And there's a passage in Philippians chapter 2. You you can keep your finger on Psalm if you like to. You can turn to Philippians chapter 2. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul talking about Jesus. And talking about the humble Christ. In verse 6 he says this. Who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The gentleness of God, the humility of God, he takes his son, second person of the Trinity, to step out of heaven onto earth to put on human flesh. And that itself is is a, a statement of, of gentleness and condescension of going from, from heaven here to earth. But not just that, but to live a life for 33 years and then to go to a cross and to die a death. An innocent man dying a death, the son of God himself dying a death on a cross to pay for our sins. It's just almost unheard of. But then three days later, God takes him and he raises him from the dead. And he says, this payment for all of our sins has been done. Death has been conquered. And now God opens up the gate wide open for any of us to come and to be a part of his family. And say, I want you to be a part of my family. I have taken my son. He's humbled himself. He's come to earth. He's taught you about who God is. He's shown you who I am. And he's gone to the cross and he's died. But now he's been risen from the dead and he's ascended to heaven. And he says the invitation is wide open. You see, the gentleness of God is demonstrated in his son, our Savior. And in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus himself made this same statement of this, of this gentleness. Because he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. He's talking to people that have been beat down by all these laws of religion, and he says it's just a heavy yoke around you. Tell you what, I want you to take my yoke, and I want you to learn from me. Why? Because I'm a mean taskmaster. No, because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I want you to learn from me. And it's an invitation that he gives. He gave an invitation to people that were tired of all the laws, that were beaten down by all the regulations. And and they were not even thinking about the, the richness of a relationship with God. And he looked at them and he says, take that off, put my yoke on. And when you put a yoke on, it means you're, you're going to be yoked to something here and yoked to something here. And You just be yoked to me. You follow me. I'm gentle and I'm lowly. What he means by that is he says, I am compassionate, I am long-suffering, I am understanding, and that every person that came to Jesus, he would encourage them about coming and knowing him and knowing his Father. That's the Savior that we serve. That's the Savior that we serve. And he is gentle. And in that gentleness, he wants to make you great. He wants to make you a great man. He wants to make you a great woman. He wants to make you a great young person. Great student. He wants you to be a great dad. A great mom. He wants you to be a great employee. He wants you to be great at whatever uh, things that you put your hand to. and and Whether it be, be a talent, an ability, a job. He wants you to be a great leader. He wants you to be a great helper of the helpless he, he, it's got God's desire that we just sort of cruise through life. He says, I, I will do things to allow you to have this greatness. And the reason you get this greatness is not so that you can pad a nice resume or not so that you can just tell everyone all these wonderful things that you've done. He says, but the reason I want you to have this greatness is that you are to have this platform. And on that platform, you are then to say, the gentleness of the father is what has made me great. And that's what we are to do. And what is so sad is that so oftentimes when God pours these things out, there becomes a lot of I and me, and God begins to get pushed aside. And we're taking more credit for the things that we have accomplished and not giving Him the credit that is due. David, in all of his running, and when God rescued him, and he went back through, and he says, you've made me a great warrior, you've given me strength, I've been able to shoot the bow, I've got this leadership ability, you've got this protection for me, and and I'm so thankful for that, and you give me that right arm that has supported me, and I can look back over my life and see how you've guided me, and then he comes in at the very end, and he says, your gentleness made me great, because God, you didn't have to do that. You did not have to do that at all. But you decided to do this condescension to say, you know what? I want you to have that greatness. And the reason I want you to have that greatness is because I believe that you're going to turn back around and you're going to bring glory and honor to my name, for which is what we were created for. Your gentleness makes me great. And the whole purpose is so that when others recognize that greatness, you bow down, you lift up the Lord, you bring glory and honor to his name. And this invitation is for everyone. You cannot sit here and say, well, you don't know what my academic situation is. You don't know what my social situation, you don't know what my financial situation is. I don't care about any of that. Push that all aside. What God says is that I want to make you great. And I'll let God define greatness in what it is in your life. But I can guarantee you that there are areas in your life that God is aspiring for you to have greatness. And that greatness for that one reason is so that you can be a platform to say, I give all the honor and glory to God. Your gentleness makes me great. Back in the days when you used to look through Baptist hymnals, some of you don't know what a hymnal is. We'll explain it to you at the end of it. But a Baptist hymnal was a collection of songs that we would sing, had notes on it and things. And I remember as a child, you'd flip through there and there was one person who seemed to write most of the song. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Fanny Crosby. All right. Fanny Crosby naturally as a young child, I always wonder why you name your child Fanny, but that was just in a whole different, different realm of thinking. But, but Fanny Crosby was born in 1820, and she lived for 95 years till 1915. And she was blind from six weeks of age. And yet this woman, over 95 years, wrote 8,500 gospel songs. And no, they did not all make the hymnal. <laughs> 8,500 songs. It was in the spring of 1868 where she visited a prison. And when she visited this prison, uh, there were some words that were shared and they sung some of her songs. In the midst of singing the song, she heard a prisoner that was down the hallway scream out and says, Good Lord, do not pass me by. Good Lord, do not pass me by. And that kind of spoke to her heart. She said, "Why would you think that God would would pass you by?" And then she thought about her own situation. I'm a woman, which at times means I'm going to be um, uh, disparaged and marginalized. I'm blind. I'm handicapped. See, I, I I think I can relate to this individual. Because some people are so beaten up and beaten down in life that they have to have faith to even believe that God would even want them. It's not just a matter of do you have faith in that Jesus is the Son of God. They've got to have faith that even if he is the Son of God, would he even want them? And so with that, she was encouraged to write a line, and so she wrote a song, a hymn. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. It was a mindset of a person who was so concerned that Jesus would be passing along and as he was calling other people that this one would be left out. Because of where they were in life. And she says, as I've written this song, it's not that I'm agreeing with this person. I agree with the, the heart of that person and the pain. Pass me not, O oh gentle Savior. Don't depart from me. While you're calling on others, don't pass me by. I've got great news for you. We have a gentle Savior and he's not passing anybody by. And what his desire is, is to come to envelop you in his life. And as he envelops you into his life, his desire is for there to be a greatness about you. And it's a greatness about you in which he will stoop down to allow you to have that greatness. So that once you are standing up in this greatness, your first response is then to bow down and to lift him up and say, he gets the honor And he gives the glory. Amen? Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God that is gentle. And with that goodness, and that mercy, and that love, and that willingness to allow us to be great so that we can, in turn, give you honor and glory. We just love you for that, and we thank you, Father. And, Lord, it's my prayer today for each one of us, but I especially pray for those here today that are just walking through some really tough days. And, Lord, as as they journey through this difficult chapter of their life, May they know that as the gentle Savior, that you're not passing anybody by, but that you're walking with them. there's some here, Lord, who have been so beaten down that it's even hard to look up. I pray that this morning your Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts and lift up their eyes, and may they see the loving glance of their Savior, Jesus Christ. And to know that his invitation is to come and to join him. Because he is gentle and he is lowly. He is understanding. He is compassionate. And may that love surround them. And let this be a great day. And a day in which they can look to you with tears in their eyes and say, your gentleness makes me great. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.